This episode of Scandal Water contains adult themes and descriptions of violence. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Hello, Ashley. Hello, Candy. We are back to finish our episode on the Black Dahlia. Yes. I'm so interested in this. It's so awful and appalling, mm-hmm. but it's it is fascinating. It really is. And in fact, you know, we like to start with kind of a little warm-up question, mm-hmm. if you will. So I wanted to ask you mm-hmm. that before we dig back into this. Why do you think that people are still so fascinated with this story that's mm-hmm. literally 70 years old. Well, I guess it's the same with any unsolved mystery. It's because it's not got a resolution to it. I think this is something we've touched on in previous episodes, maybe Marilyn Monroe's episode, where if there is not a conclusion to a story, our human interest, our human curiosity wants there to be a resolution. Mm -hmm. And when there's not, it's like, what do you mean? What do you mean that we don't know what happened? I think in our last episode, didn't we talk about other unsolved mysteries? For me, like the Jack the Ripper. We still don't know who Mm -hmm. that was. What do you mean we still don't know who that is? Or where's Amelia or any of this stuff? It just, we need that resolution just to feel complete. Yeah, we need that closure. And like you said in the last episode, it was the biggest case to hit Hollywood prior to the Manson murders. That's Mm -hmm. a, that's a long record. Yeah, it is. And I think to piggyback on that, another part of unsolved cases, especially when they involve a murder and a murder of a young, beautiful, innocent person is the fact that you want justice. Right. That idea that right. there's no Somebody justice. should pay for this. Yes. This was allowed to happen. Mm-hmm. Like you, I mean, that's not, but that's how you feel. It's like they got because, away with it. They got away with it because we were not able to catch somebody. It is as though this was allowed to happen. Right. That's how you feel. Right. And that's just such a terrible, it's unsettling. terrible feeling. And and it means that it could happen again. So what do you mean they did this horrible crime and they were never found out? They could have done it to somebody else. Yeah. It's still out there. They're still on the loose. Yeah. And then again, what happened to her was just horrific. It there, really was. You don't, you don't hear about cases where somebody has brutalized a body mm-hmm. in that way. And the to use surgical precision, mm-hmm. to use those techniques and to pose her that right. way. The reason I ask what organ was missing is it almost is like, was it... Uh, a harvester was it somebody trying to sell a body organ that just I don't think so no I don't think so either but that's the surgical precision like that that's something that comes to mind is like was it was it not personal but it was just awful and they were it was a crime of opportunity or was it deeply personal right well any way you look at it Mm -hmm. it definitely has stayed in the public interest in Mm -hmm. fact there was a movie the Black Dahlia i didn't write down the date. It's, I think, been within the last 10 to 15 years. Just recently, there was a new show that came out, I think just in January, called I Am the Night, which is not about the Black Dahlia mm-hmm. case, but it has a tie to it. And I mean, it just still comes up mm-hmm. even in our modern times. Well, and, like you said, the Joker. Yes. And we have 
these theorists who have put out these books and these ideas recently. Mm -hmm. These are not, you know, these are not from 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So we'll get into that. Okay. That, that's coming. Do we have people that are likely suspects that we can weigh in on if we think it was them? We have a few that I'm going to bring up. All right. Yes. Well, so let's start by talking about her name, her nickname. The papers called her the Black Dahlia, and most articles seem to agree it's because she had jet black hair. Okay. Which may have been dyed. I'm not sure what her original hair color was, but it is very dark when you see it in the pictures. And the fact that she liked to wear dark clothing. Mm -hmm. And also, an important point was just the year before, there was a film that had come out that revolved around crime, and it was called The Blue Dahlia. Oh, was Veronica Lake in that? I don't know. Okay. But one source said that the crime was even a little reminiscent of the murder. I don't know about that. But they somehow or other, this popular movie helped spark her nickname. Okay. Yes. Now, Which again is so sad mm -hmm. because she wanted to be in Hollywood. Her nickname came from a Hollywood. It's like she's mm -hmm. just on the outskirts of yeah, mm -hmm. what she wanted. Mm -hmm. Well, the press was obviously obsessed with the case. We've already established that. But they interfered with the work. Like this was back in that time period. I think again about Chicago oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Maureen's time period. Mm -hmm. One of the lead investigators even commented that they, they couldn't do anything without having the press right there over their shoulders. Mm. And here is an example that I found absolutely appalling. According to the Oxygen article on the Black Dahlia case, here's a quote. Shortly after the Black Dahlia was identified, the Los Angeles examiner contacted Short's mother, Phoebe Short, and told her that her daughter had won a beauty contest. This came from the BBC. Only after prying personal information oh, no. about the victim did they tell her that her daughter had been murdered. That is horrifying. It should be illegal. It should. Well, it should have been. I'm sure today yeah. it probably is. But I cannot even imagine mm. doing that to somebody. Just awful. So the press is sensationalizing things and they are in... You know, they've, they've they're got in the their... business of selling papers. Right. And of course, the police, meanwhile, are busily investigating. They launched a massive investigation. They started following up on all the leads they had, which they didn't have a lot, right? But one tip, for example, this was on the FBI website. Somebody had sent them a note suggesting they check out a group of students at the University of Southern California Medical School because of that mm -hmm. medical connection. You know, mm -hmm. that idea of it might mm -hmm. be a surgeon or mm -hmm. somebody who's trained. They would go follow that lead. They went and they talked to some medical students. I mean, they were following everything they could. Of course, one of the first things they did was they looked at Red Manley, the guy who yeah, had dropped that's her logical. off at the hotel. Right. He's the one who gave a lot of that description that they put in their police bulletin okay. because he's the one who saw her on January 9th. Right. And in fact, it said in one of the sources that he identified one of Beth's shoes and a purse that was found near the crime scene. So he was investigated. He was looked at very closely. I believe he took a couple of lie detector tests. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, he was cleared. Okay. Now, something interesting. Last time, I asked you to read that FBI bulletin. Yeah, yeah. Just to review this one little piece, I'm going to read this again. Subject on whom information wanted last seen January 9th, 1947, when she got out of car at Biltmore Hotel. At that time, she was wearing black suit, no collar on coat, probably cardigan style, white fluffy blouse, black suede high-heeled shoes, nylon stockings, white gloves, full-length beige coat, carried black plastic handbag, two handles, and it actually gave a size, 12 by 8, in which she had black 
address book. Right. Now about this address book. About 10 days after her body was found, the killer mailed an envelope to the paper. Didn't mail it to the police, mailed it to one of the newspapers. And in the envelope were some of her belongings. No. Using letters clipped from a page of movie ads, like the cutout little yeah. letters, he had addressed the envelope. Is that the first time that kind of stuff was used? It was so interesting because I didn't take the time to look it up myself. But yeah. in that same podcast episode I referenced, the host made the comment. She said, you know, this is such a this is such a cliche. This is such a trope that you see all the time. She said she said she looked it up and that this is actually one of the only times this ever really happened. Where it's not in a movie? Where it right. happened in real life in real life yes so everybody described it as it seemed like it was kind of taunting the police a Uh little bit he a lot a little bit a lot they never figured out who it was the the phrase heaven is here was something that was on it the envelope included her birth certificate her social (sighs) security card some newspaper clippings the 10 year old address book which listed 75 men and it wait, had wait, the, the 10 year old it was 10 year the address book itself was 10 years old that's what was in this yes the okay. source okay mm-hmm. yes and again in that address book it supposedly had the names of 75 men and the name mark hansen was written on the cover now other sources it wasn't in this little quote i pulled here but other sources said that there was a page missing mm. from that address book mm-hmm. by the way which meant Many, of course, speculate is the person had that guy's name on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the police launched a massive investigation to track down all of the 75 people in the address book. Most of them knew her only briefly, and really the search didn't bring Pan up anything. Right. It didn't bring up anything that was important. But another thing that they did was they tracked down this Mark Hansen guy. Mm-hmm. He was a successful nightclub owner, and he confirmed that Beth had crashed at his house for a time. I don't know if it was a day, it was a couple days, I have no idea, but this seemed to fit. They knew that she did that sometimes. Yeah. So ultimately, they ended up taking him off their suspect list. They decided they were going to well, clear him. it would make sense because if you were Mark Hansen, why would you send this book in with your own name on the front? Exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. They were not able to obtain any fingerprints from the envelope because it had been brushed with gasoline. Oh. So whoever's doing this They know what they're doing. Yes, they understand fingerprints. They understand understand evidence they are smart i wonder if they lick the stamp hmm i don't know that's interesting now other taunting letters did come in but the police were never sure are these all actually from the killer or are these copycats they didn't know mm-hmm. but just to give you an example Again, from that same Oxygen article, here's a quote. A handwritten letter was received by the examiner on January 26th that said, Here it is, turning in Wednesday, January 29th, 10 a.m., had my fun at police, Black Dahlia Avenger. He called himself that, apparently. The letter named a location where the supposed suspect would turn himself in, but the killer did not appear. Right. Instead, the newspaper received another letter on 1 p.m. that day, this time cut and pasted from newsprint, reading, Have changed my mind. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified. So those are the kinds of notes that they are getting. And now they never could authenticate any of these follow-up. But think about it. They knew the original one was from the killer because it had her stuff. Yeah. So 100%. She didn't send it in. Yeah. Now, a very disappointing development, another one, was 
on one of these little copycat letters, they found a fingerprint that Mm. had accidentally been left on Mm -hmm. there. But here's the quote from the FBI website. In a tantalizing potential break in the case, the Bureau searched for a match to fingerprints found on an anonymous letter that may have been sent to authorities by the killer, but the prints were not in FBI files. Oh, I was going to say, was it the mailman? You know, know, don't they have to handle the mail? They do, but it might have been on the inside cover someplace where they felt like it was probably the author of the letter. So the investigation had so many issues. It was hindered by so many things. There were false reports. There were people who gave inaccurate information. There were false murder confessions. In fact, over the 70 years of this case, a couple of sources said there have been hundreds of false confessions. I don't know. But it was more than one source because the fir- when I saw it the first time, I was like, oh, this is a mistake. Uh-huh. I saw it in other sources as well. So this is obviously not helping the police. No. Well, and they didn't have a lot to go on anyway. So yeah. they didn't need that. So over the years, the case has been unsolved, but never abandoned. Like it's always had people put on this case. Mm. I mean, in fact, some of Even the- now. Yes, and some huh. of, some of the detectives will be on it. I mean, not, it's not like they're working it every day. Sure. They're obviously working a lot yeah, of other yeah. cases as well. But there are some people who were on it for like ten years of their career. Wow, working that cold case. You wouldn't think there would be that many details that it would take this long, but I guess it has. Yeah, that one guy followed it for twenty years, and they followed seventy five. I guess you have to re follow up with the other seventy five people. It's it's a lot. Yeah, and I mean, again, you're also doing a lot of other things. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. yeah, so. Over the years, there have been so many theories that have been put forth about who murdered her. Okay. What happened? Because he said it was justified. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, keep going. Keep going. In fact, it's interesting because as I was researching, I came across a couple of Google slide presentations from law schools okay. where apparently an assignment might have been to like present your findings on a case. And uh-huh. so I literally found some young person's <laughs> presentation where they had listed all these different theories yeah. and then had highlighted the three that they felt were most credible and then kind of bullet pointed their, what their they ideas. Think happened to her. Right. It reminds me of that meme. I don't know if I could find it to even put it on our, our social media, but it's like, it's, it's a person in bed, like one in the morning and the caption is, well, guess I better solve the John A. Ramsey case. You know, it's just this person that's like, I'm just going to do it right now yeah. when nobody else has been able to solve it. Right. Right. Well, one of the people who made this guy's PowerPoint presentation, by the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> was a lady named, I hope I say her first name right. It's P-I-U. So Pew Eatwell, maybe. And her book came out in 2018. It was a nonfiction book called Black Dahlia, Red Rose. Mm. And she referred to her book as part detective story and part history. Oh, I like that. Because she, she again, had to do a lot of investigation mm-hmm. herself. And so the description of the book, which of course I've not read, said that she had to retrace Elizabeth Short's final days, but then she also had to dig into the investigation itself. Mm. And here was a comment that she made that I thought was a little telling. She said she had to dig into the investigation conducted by a police department that quote, bore overly intimate ties with both gangland and the media. Oh. Yes. So she apparently had some questions about the police department and their motives. Hmm. Yes. So there was a Rolling Stone article that was talking about her new book and kind of featuring it back Mm -hmm. in 2018 when it came out. And this is a quote from them. In her book, 
Eat Well makes a convincing case for the identity of Elizabeth Short's murderer, a conclusion she reached after years of exhaustive research. Eat Well's theory centers on Leslie Duane Dillon, a bellhop and one-time mortician's assistant who was briefly considered the case's primary suspect before police let him go. She writes that the Los Angeles Police Department knowingly let Short's murderer off the hook because Sergeant Finnis Brown, one of the case's two lead investigators, was an alleged corrupt cop mm. with links to Mark Hansen, a local nightclub and movie theater owner, and Leslie Dillon's purported co-conspirator in Short's death. Do you remember where we had yes. the name Mark Hansen? Okay, that was on the cover of her little black book. Yes. So when I said, of course it wouldn't be Mark Hansen because why would he put his name on the book and then mail it in? But it could have been Leslie Mm. who mailed in the book trying to go look at this guy and trying to rat out his co-conspirator. Right. Could have been because honestly, I'm, I'm doing this now from memory. I may not have the details exactly correct, but I believe that was the, the idea behind it was that Mark Hansen put him up to it. One of them may, might have been rejected by Elizabeth and therefore one of the reasons to get back at her was that this idea of rejection was somehow... That's an ultimate get back at. My gosh. Right, right. Well, Miss Eatwell's book is not the only book that's been written about this case. Okay. And when we come back from the break here in a minute, we're going to look at another theory that not only has had a book written about it, but it's gotten a lot of press. Mm. In fact, this gentleman has made the rounds with his theory, and I even saw a little clip of him on Dr. Phil. Interesting. Interesting. Yes. So we'll be back to talk about that soon. Hey guys, we wanted to let you know about a new perk we're offering to our 1993 club members. We're starting something called This, That, or The Other, where our 1993 club members get to choose the episode topic when given three choices. For the fifth Tuesday in May, the options are number one, the Barrymore family legacy, number two, new Mickey Mouse Club stars, or number three, celebrity talk show hosts. If you'd like your voice to be heard, simply visit www.buymeacoffee.com coffee.com slash scandalwaterpod to join the 1993 club before May 1st. Cheers. All right, we are back and ready to talk about a different theory about who might have murdered the Black Dahlia, Beth Short. This particular theory is that the murder was committed by a man named George Hodel. Have you ever heard of him? I feel like I have, yes. And I also think this is, again, super fascinating. We have one group of people that say Beth Short was totally this way. Another group of people say Beth Short was totally this way. This lady has spent years and she says, it's these two guys. This person you're getting ready to tell us is like, no, it's this. This is blowing my mind. And all of these people have researched extensively, gone back to the primary source documents and arrived at totally different different conclusions yes how is this maybe that's why this has been so popular is because it's choose your own adventure (laughs) (laughs) and and you're now you're invested you're like well then who's right 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 yes okay so how did this fella steve hodel come to the idea that the murder was committed by george hodel are you noticing anything about isn't it his dad it's his dad yeah yes There you go. So what happened was George Hodel died in 1999 after suffering from congestive heart failure. He was older. He had lived Mm -hmm. a long life. And actually, his son was not really tight with him until they they reconciled towards the end of his life. Okay. So Steve and George were on pretty good terms when he died. Okay. 
So after he passed, Steve, the son, who is a retired LAPD officer. And Steve ho- is. Steve is. Okay. He is a retired LAPD officer and homicide detective. So he's going through his dad's things and he sees among his father's belongings, a couple of photographs that he thinks, he well, he, he doesn't just think it resembles, he thinks it's Elizabeth Short. Mm. So this raises, obviously, a red flag for him, Mm -hmm. and it sets him off on, oh, my goodness, you know, is my... Why would Dad have this? Right. Now, he says in interviews that he set out to prove that his dad had nothing to do with her murder, but ended up along the way deciding that his dad definitively did it. it. And he's... He came to the conclusion he not only killed her, he now thinks that his dad murdered other people as well. But let's kind of dig into this a little bit because I'm telling you, if you were to Google Steve Hodel and this theory, it's everywhere. I have heard him on podcast interviews, again, on little TV show Mm -hmm. interviews. He's in all kinds of news articles. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's got his theory everywhere. So are are we going to hit on this later but are you going to tell us who you having researched this who you think it is i thought maybe in our armchair we we could talk a little bit about the theories all right okay well here's what happened so first of all dad george hodel was a physician steve quoted this was a little quote that was in an article where he was explaining what his father's official position was Mm -hmm. he said he was the head of the la county health department's hygiene division he specialized in venereal disease control informing the public about how dangerous it was okay so but he was somebody who would have known how to surgical yes do surgical things he had that background now apparently Steve put a lot of his theories into a best-selling book, Black Dahlia, Avenger, The True Story, which has been very popular. Mm. I mean, it was a bestseller. And I believe after that, he actually wrote a follow-up book. I think the, I think he's got at least two books out. But I do know, here are some of, not all, here are a few of his key points. All right? Mm-hmm. So, first of all, because his father was a physician, he had the medical expertise to kill and mutilate Beth and the other victims that that Steve believes his father to have killed before he fled to Asia in 1950. The fact that he actually left the country and went to Asia is another factor that Steve thinks might be a sign of guilt. Okay. All right. Here's another thing. Steve discovered when he was investigating that the police had actually had George on their suspect list because at one point Mm -hmm. they called George in to interview him. Mm -hmm. And while they had him at the police department, other detectives went out and bugged his home. Was he in the book? Is he in the black book? I didn't know that. That's a good question. I don't don't think so. That didn't come up. Okay. But maybe. But so Steve found transcripts from where they had bugged his dad's house. And here's one little piece that he pulls out. I mean, there's more, but this is one little quote. Supposedly in the transcripts, there is a record of his father saying, quote, Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary because she's dead. That seems like way on the nose. Well, and on top of that, Steve thinks that there's a possibility that his father might have been involved with the The secretary's secretary's death death anyway. Mm. Now, I don't think these were like right on top of each other. Mm. And this, this was an overdose situation that I think had happened beforehand. But I think it speaks to Steve's opinion of his dad and his murderous intent. Yeah. So there's another reason. Here's 
another thing that he says points towards George's guilt. First of all, he says the fact that George was just a really deviant person Ooh. who was, yes, who was into a lot of, a lot of things. Is um, it sort of like our Deacon guy? What was his name? Deacon Brody? Um, He was into a lot of things related to sex. Mm. And in fact, he was accused by his daughter of abusing her. Yes. And possibly impregnating her. Oh, gosh. Yes. So the case went to trial and George was acquitted. But one of the main reasons that he was was because his wife testified on his behalf saying her daughter lied. But a rebuttal to that that was given was that George was wealthy and he had a lot of status and he was was the breadwinner so it could be that some family members or friends who you know spoke up on his behalf did it because they needed to defend him for their Money own talks. right their own self-preservation right. right but the fact that he had he was accused of doing that to his own daughter is also a reason why the police brought him in now the Hodel family at, at, at this time also lived in a house that had been designed by Lloyd Wright, who was the son of the famous architect Frank Lloyd Wright. Okay. It was a very cool house. And so it was called the Soudan House. They referred to it. They gave it a name. It's now considered a Hollywood landmark. But according to Steve, in 2008, he found documents from 1947 establishing, quote, a direct link between 50-pound cement sacks left at the... <sighs> The Soudan House by workers oh. contracted by Lloyd Wright for renovation to identical paper cement sacks used by Elizabeth Short's killer to transport her body parts to the vacant lot just five days later. Mm. This is hard physical evidence connecting items from the Hodel residence used to transport the body to the dump site, end quote. Now that's Steve saying this. Okay. So he thinks these sacks were connected. His, okay. his house to you know, this murder. Right. He actually had a handwriting expert look at the lettering on some of those letters that have been mailed mm-hmm. in because he said it looked like his dad's handwriting. But the experts said it definitely could be, but they said it was inconclusive. inconclusive. They weren't they weren't gonna go there. Mm. And now, this is an interesting point. George was an art lover, and he was very drawn to surrealism. He was friends with a f- very famous photo artist named Man Ray, who I've never heard of. But, but they were close friends, mm-hmm. and Man Ray had a lot of photo artwork where he would pose people in different ways, mm-hmm. and sometimes they were nudes. Mm-hmm. And Steve believes that the posing and the mutilation of Beth looks very similar to two pieces of work, these surreal pieces that Man Ray had created. So he was he was friends, George Hodel was friends with Man Ray? Yes. And Man Ray was not on the list of suspects? No. Okay. No, he was not. But the, the comment was made that rather than just dumping Beth, Steve felt like maybe his father was almost like creating this little piece of Art of his the, own art in the way he posed it because mm. he was such a yes and then finally Steve took all of his evidence all of his research to at that point he was the assistant district attorney Stephen Kay and this man Stephen Kay said yep I think you have enough to prosecute I oh. I agree with you that if if this you know if we were if we were going to take this to trial I feel like I could make a case with this wow guy. so he supported this idea now in the meantime a lot of other people have ripped it apart really yes 
I'm thinking it's pretty strong. It does sound like a lot of good points. Uh But this other gentleman that we've mentioned before, Larry Larry? Hanish, Uh he's one that says nope. No? Yes. He disagrees with Steve's theory. A few of the points that he makes, which are actually, it's funny, I I looked up the book (laughs) on Amazon and was looking at a few of the reviews. And a few of the reviews said the same thing Larry said. A lot of this is conjecture. Mm -hmm. There's not enough hard evidence, too circumstantial too much of that I firmly believe or I think this shows versus this evidence proves that. Okay. So that's one of of Larry's chief complaints, which again, these people who were writing the reviews seem to agree with. Okay. But a few other points that Larry or others have brought out, they feel like handwriting is not an exact science. Why would you even really be using that? Plus it was inconclusive anyway, and Steve's the one who hired them. Mm. So there could be a bias. Mm -hmm. That's another point. They feel like Steve, he's got confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. He's already got his point in mind and he's looking for evidence that'll back him up Mm -hmm. and ignoring anything Mm -hmm. that doesn't. That's another point they're making. And it's bringing him financial success. And a lot of attention. Yeah. And this is another thing. Steve kind of went off the rails a little bit. Like he started with this case tying his dad to the murder of the Black Dahlia. And then he started saying, you know what? I think he may have done this murder over here. I think I... I believe it was called the lipstick murder. And then he started saying, you know what? He might be the Zodiac killer. And so people, I think, started to think, "Uh, you're just reaching now. In fact, here is a quote from one of the sources. Interest in Hodel's work has faded as his theories have grown more elaborate. He's since attempted to connect his father to the Zodiac serial killings. So there's where we are with suspect George Hodel. Is there any other suspects? Well, I'm just going to briefly mention what Larry thinks. Okay. But just finish George. Okay. He is just a despicable human being. George In general, Mm. yes. I mean, just a horrible human being, apparently. One of the other things that I mentioned earlier was that 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 show, I Am the Night, Mm -hmm. has a brief connection to the Black Dahlia. Well, it's really connected to George Hodel and this other situation that's gone on with his family and his, his children. And so I have not watched it. I'm not sure exactly what it's about, but I do know. No, it's not real flattering for George. Okay. Yeah. So let's finish by talking about Larry. And you know what? I believe I've said Hanish. It might be Harnish, but his name's a little tricky. But he, again, this reporter investigating the case for many years. And he has not written a book yet. I, I think that's what you said last I time. I looked it up. I could not find that okay. the book had been had been put out yet. Now, over the course of his investigation, he has come to believe that the man who committed the murder might be a gentleman. No, I don't know. If he's, a, he's not a gentleman. He might be a man named Walter Bailey, who was a skilled surgeon. Okay. Now, what Larry did that was a little different was he started with the profiling. In fact, he actually talked to that famous profiler, John Douglas, the one we think of with Mindhunter. Mm-hmm. And so he basically started with the scene of the crime. Mm-hmm. Why did this killer choose this spot? Mm-hmm. What was significant about this location, this street, this vacant lot? All, like he started with, that was one of his key things. And he started really looking at the profiling aspect of it. And so it really struck him that this location had to be important. And I'm I'm summarizing. I'm not going to give you nearly as much detail as I did with the George Hodel suspect. He figured out that this Bailey guy had connections. His daughter knew Beth's sister. This doctor had an office near the Biltmore Hotel where Beth was last seen. And 
he thought it was very significant that her body was actually only a block away from Walter Bailey's ex-wife's house. Mm. So basically it was kind of like right there where Mm -hmm. she could have seen it, where she could have like, yes, come across it. And he also felt that Walter Bailey really matched the profile that had been drawn up by this profiler, John Douglas. Here's a quote from Larry. He was desensitized to blood, was comfortable with a knife, and although he had a medical degree, he did work with his hands rather than his brains. He also had a strong but troubled link to the immediate vicinity of the crime scene. So those were a couple of his reasons and and how he felt it hit that profile that had been developed. Okay, that's a connection to the area, but that's not a connection to Beth yet. Well, he, this is now speculation. Okay. He thinks... First of all, he thinks possibly Walter Bailey may have been suffering from Alzheimer's or something that didn't make him fully cognizant, kind of in his right mind. He thought possibly either he'd made a pass at Beth and she had rejected him, or remember we mentioned she sometimes would tell stories about Mm -hmm. she was married, she'd Mm -hmm. had a child, but she'd lost it, Mm -hmm. or she had died at a young age. Well, this Walter Bailey did have a son who had died at a young age, so there was the the possibility according to Larry that maybe you know he found out she'd lied and he was very upset because this was something that was very emotional to mm-hmm. him but something sparked him or set him off mm-hmm. he thinks that this was a crime of passion that he probably never killed anybody again that it was just you know either partly this Alzheimer or this uh, emotional outrage that mm-hmm. overtook him whatever but that's his theory I don't know that it has really gone very far. Taken uh, root. Right. I'm not sure that there are a lot of people who support and that's so him odd with that theory. Because he seems to be the one that's taken the most time. 20 years. No, the others have taken... Oh, really? Steve has been at it around 20 years as well. And the female author. I don't believe so. But I think she she did not know. She didn't take near 20 years. She's much younger. But, but there have been people who've put a lot of years into wow. it. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Now... This is just a side note, but I put it in here because I knew you'd be interested. I found a whole article. I think it was actually Unsolved Mysteries website that thought there might be a connection between Beth's killing and the torso slayings in Cleveland that Elliot Ness was supposed to investigate. Oh, yeah. There were some definite similarities with the medical know-how. Yes. And And they never found that person. Well, they did, sort of. That one guy said, I did it. But he was kind of nuts, right? They think Elliot knew who it was, but they let him go. Go. Because of connections. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. So that was one last little thing that was put out there. Mm. So all that brings us to our armchair, Ashley. Armchair psychologist. What do you think? Who done it? Who did it? Yes. Well, okay. Having not researched it, just going on purely what you have just told us, my thinking leans more toward the, was she the second one? The, the female, the lady. Um, you eat well. Yes, eat well. Because of the tie. There's two people, the name, the ties to the, the mafia, the proxy. It just, all, that all made more sense. Although Steve had a really strong case. And part of me was wondering at a time, like, well, could it be all three of them? Could they be colluding? And it could just be because maybe she jilted all of them and it just, but then part of me wonders, was it just a random, just she was in the wrong place at the wrong time, which could be with Larry's Mm -hmm. person. It, it, I am, I am baffled. 
I am really I am baffled. Too. And obviously you you said it. <laughs> Such an important point. We haven't gotten to research. You didn't no. get to research at all. You've just heard me talk for a yeah. little bit. And I don't feel that I am qualified to, to make any kind of a determination of what I think because I could have studied this. Oh, goodness. If they could do it for 20 years, and I don't think my know. little week yeah. is going to really get me too far. Right, right, right. I will say... That idea of it being a crime of passion or something on the spur of the moment, I don't think that could be the case unless either. it was somebody who was determined, I'm going to commit a yeah. murder using this procedure, these techniques, yeah. and anybody who happens along that seems like a good fit or somebody that would be easy to, to grab I'm just going to take advantage of that. Okay, just had a thought. This goes without saying, but it's wildly speculative. The thing that stuck out to me is the person that mailed in the thing said it was, I forget the phrasing, but she deserved this, basically. I forget mm -hmm. what they said, but justified or something. I don't mm -hmm. know the phrase. And the organ that was taken was the uterus. Could she have lied to one of these men and said she was pregnant, trying to get them to marry her? And then she later says, I wasn't pregnant, or they find out she was lying or whatever. And that was the crime of passion. So that's why they specifically took this organ. Because as she's, as she's been known for, she's been known for lying. Mm -hmm. And we know she was trying to catch a husband. So could that have been, she just told the lie to the wrong guy? Well, that's interesting. On the flip side, that is an organ that you associate with a female. Mm -hmm. And if this was somebody who would do something so awful to a mm -hmm. woman, it could also be just a sign that there was no respect for her. Yeah. It could have just been kind of a, a misogynistic yeah. type statement. I don't feel it was random. I feel like it was somebody who knew her personally, had been affronted by her in some way, and this was their revenge to her because specifically of that letter that says it was whatever the phrase was, justified or whatnot. So they headed out for her specifically. Well, I'm so torn. I could go with you on that. I could definitely see that they had it out for her specifically, but I could also see a sick, twisted person who just wanted to make a statement. I want to pose something in a certain way. Yeah. I want I want the attention or yeah. I want to shock people uh -huh. in this area and she's accessible. Yeah. You know, as we said, she was in such a high risk position mm -hmm. and maybe she was the very very tragically unlucky person who was just there maybe I could see it either way I just know that this was a person who set out to do it mm -hmm. like this is not something where it, it, that is not a crime of passion no this was very premeditated yeah it took so much work and passion so much would thought. indicate like a lot of blood loss and like it wouldn't be as clean mm -hmm. I wouldn't think when I think of passion, I think of in the heat of the moment. Yeah. And then if the smile was not meant to be a, whatever you want to call it, a nod to that piece of art, mm -hmm. then why the smile? Mm -hmm. Because I could see it if this person had it in their head. I mean, it's it's obviously twisted, but I could see if that's what they were modeling it after. But if it wasn't, then why, do, why did... Why do it? Yes. Why did he do that to her? Why did he think to do that to her? Yeah. Isn't that wild? Again, we come to 20, I mean, how many cumulative years? It's been 70 some years since the crime itself, but we've got cumulatively probably over 100 years of people looking into this and we still don't know. Right. We just don't know. 
We don't know. Yeah, if I had to pick right now, I would have to go with George Hodel just because there are some pieces of evidence mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to read enough about the other people's theories to actually see evidence. Okay. I just kind of heard reasons. Yeah. But I feel like George had a few, and they and maybe they are circumstantial, but at least there were some things there that seemed... I will to- say, yeah, that one also sounded pretty... You could hang your hat on those too. Mm-hmm. That's awful for his son and for his daughter. Just awful yes but it's interesting because at one point when steve was being interviewed somebody asked him about what his dad would think and i can't remember exactly what he said but a piece of it was something to the effect of this might sound funny or ironic but i think in a way dad would be proud that you know first of all for me for pursuing this Mm -hmm. but also he might like the attention Mm. So that was a little interesting Mm -hmm. to think about. But if he really wanted the attention, why didn't he confess to it? Like deathbed confession where he could finally get his name attached to it. If Mm. if George really wanted the attention, Mm -hmm. what better way to get it than to say, yeah, it's me. Well, I mean, he didn't want to be caught. No, (laughs) but if he he was close to the end of his life. Oh, you mean, yes. Deathbed confession. When he was older. Yep. Mm. Well, I guess we're not going to solve this one. I know. It's like, how? what in the world? We can't solve it in an hour. Oh, but I mean, as we said last time, obviously a big cheers to to Beth. Beth. So sad. And to the people who continue to try to solve this. That's right. I hope one of them figures it out. I hope we get a resolution to this case. That would be great to bring her justice. 100%. In fact, you you bring to mind, as two people who listen to to true crime, there are a lot of people out there working right now Mm -hmm. on a lot of cold cases, Mm -hmm. spending time putting in the heart, putting in the the energy and the work because they know it matters. Mm -hmm. It matters to the family. It matters to the friends. It matters to that person's memory and legacy. So cheers to you guys. And again, cheers to Beth. Cheers. If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website, www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can Join the Scandalwater community through our Scandalwater Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandalwater Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandalwater theme and other music. Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the hosts during each episode of Scandalwater are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.